You can be seated. You can be seated. Ushers, I think there are a few more seats in the far corners of the balcony so we can get some folks on up in here. Hey, we're one church, many locations. If you're a guest here, we have campuses throughout the Carolinas. So on three, I want all of you just to welcome all the campuses and the Monday night crowd here at Monday. And by the way, if you haven't checked out Monday night crowd and you'd rather not be in church on Sunday, but somebody drug you here today and you would do better at church in the evening, just come on out on Monday nights. We'll make you feel right at home. But one, two, three, come on, celebrate the movement. Welcome one, welcome all. Hey, so check it out. If you're a public speaker, and I know we have quite a few public speakers here. If you're a public speaker or you're a pastor or you're watching this somewhere, if you've ever taken a public speaking class, um, professors will tell you, or if you've ever taken a, a homiletical class in seminary, uh, professors will tell you that the very first thing you say as a speaker is of the utmost importance. People will remember your introduction. And then they'll tell you that, you know, unless you're really, really good, people will tend to snooze off and sleep in the middle of your message. Let it never be so at New Hope Church. <laughs> and then they tell you that the end of your message is really, really important, the ending. I say all of that just to let you know that I, I understand fully that what I'm about to say to you is really, really important. And so I'm not going to squander it. I want to give you a nugget in the very beginning of this message that has the potential to be a watershed moment in the life of our church. A defining moment, if you will. And it's one word. Most of you know that, that I've challenged you over the years to come up with one word. You're one personal word for the year. I see a lot of heads already shaking at me. And a lot of you do that now. So on the count of three, I just want you to yell out, what is your one word for 2019 if you picked a word at all of our campuses? One, two, three. I have no idea what you said, but did you hear that? <laughs> Sounded like y'all were speaking in tongues. But you see, a lot of people do that around here. Interestingly enough, I don't have a word this year. God has not given me a word personally. But oh my, has God given me a word for our church. Hallelujah. I love it. Take out your teaching notes. And at the very top of your teaching notes, you're going to see this. Now, what do you think that word is for our church? And some of you, because you're very, very religious people, you think, well, that's easy. You're going to talk to us about church today because <laughs> it's vision day. And I would dear, tell you, you're wrong. The word is Christ. That's another good guess. It's another good guess. You, my dear, are wrong too. <laughs> but thank you for trying. change. Everybody yell change. change. Now everybody yell it like your life depended on it. Change. Good Lord. Can you take it even to the next level? Now, now yell it like the world depends upon it. Change. Dang. Change. Interestingly enough, I have been in a struggle for a couple of years. 
Not the struggle like you might be starting to imagine. I mean just in my spirit with what does it mean to lead a church today. I don't know if you've realized this or not, but our world is changing. Our culture is changing at a Mach 5 speed. And I've come to realize that the culture in which we live is not anything like what it was like when I started the church 17 years ago. It's a different world. And so inside of my spirit for the last couple of years has been this deep-seated unsettledness on what it means to lead a church today. Not that anything's bad. I mean, come on now. This church is rocking and rolling for Jesus. Can I get an amen? I don't know if you know this, but every year at Vision Day, prior to Vision Day, I go back and I read almost all of them, or I scan them, I read most of them, all of my Vision Day talks prior to that Vision Day. So I was doing that this week. And Vision Day 2, 2014, I was reading the Vision Day message that I delivered that day, and I laid out a big vision for the church. I laid out a vision that we would see 500 people accept Christ in that entire year, 2004. And I had to chuckle and praise God because I realized that on Christmas weekend, we saw somewhere like 561 people accept Christ on Christmas weekend at this church. So, so, my, so my point is that which I used to hope and pray God would do in a year, he now does in a weekend. So don't think that I'm like saying that the church, I mean, we are rocking and rolling for Jesus. But there's still been something inside of me, a, an unsettledness on what does it look like to do church today. I've been thankful for all that God is doing, but, but there's been something that's just, we're just a few clicks off. We're, we're just not quite there. I've been in a reflective mood this week as well, a very reflective mood. And so I was thinking about this church 17 years ago, and as I was in front of my computer, a family that came down from Ohio, you don't even know this story, a family came down from Ohio 17 years ago, the week before we started this church, a little missions team, it was a family, the Dorco family, and they came down from Ohio, they used to go to a church called Church of the Open Door in Ohio, they came down, did all kinds of things with us for a week, and then they went back to Ohio, they sent me an email this week, I had no idea that they recently moved from Ohio. Ohio to Columbia. I'll give you one guess what church they go to in Columbia. <laughs> New Hope, Columbia. And do you know that Sarah sent me pictures from that week that we launched this church? You might have seen this picture in our newsletter. Who are these two children? <laughs> That's my precious wife and I 17 years ago. Let me, let, me show you, let me show you a few more. Check this one out. Here, look at this next one. There, look at the kids. There's Anna Grace in my arms over there. I know it's an old picture, right? <laughs> Quality's not that good. There's Anna Grace. She's junior at the University of North Carolina right now. Look at Benjamin in mama's arms, picking his nose like any good boy will do. <laughs> Come on, let's look at a few more. Oh, Lord, you've heard me talk about the pizza giveaways. Well, if you haven't, the way we grew our, our group from our family to about 30 is we gave free pizza away at the college campuses around here. Let me tell you something. You want to get a college kid to do something, you, pay, you feed him. <laughs> so that's, that's our pizza giveaway. That dude right there, he didn't stick. Look at him, about to go in for a slice of pepperoni. But he moved on. But we had all kinds of college students in our core team to launch this church. There's just a few more. Watch this. Oh, we did a phone-a-thon. 
Yes, we did. For three weeks straight, I got Duke to open up a room for us at the university. And uh, we went into the, the, the uh, lab there and we did a phone-a-thon and called thousands and thousands and thousands of people telling them about this church plant. Here's one in the upper room. Y'all have heard us talk about the upper room. Look at little Wesley. He's serving our country now at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, here, here was the staff. That was the staff, except for that guy in the white coat there. When, whenever we opened up the door, he showed up. Um, <laughs> but that, that was a, that's a staff picture, and there we were. And we've been at it 17 years. And here's the question I wrestled with this week. It's a big question. Get ready for it. Can a church like ours change a world like ours? Can a church like ours change an ever-changing world like ours? And I don't know if you realize this or not. I know many of you, you there's no reason for you. You don't, you don't pay attention to church as much as I do. I mean, the church universal. But do you know that around 91% of the churches, not just in America, but in the world, 91% of the churches are in decline or dying? And I don't know what you think about when I say something like that, but here's where my mind immediately goes. What in the world could the people in the pews have done? What in the world could the leadership teams have done? What in the world could the pastors have done like me to prevent the churches from approaching extinction, terminal decline? My mentor used to say something very, very important to me. He would say there are three kinds of pastors in the world, just three. <laughs> Risk takers, caretakers, and undertakers. And I think you know what kind of pastor I desire to be, the kind of pastor I've chosen to try my very best to lead this church for 17 years. I'm a pastor who believes wholeheartedly in taking prayerful, careful, calculated, and strategic risks to advance the kingdom of God. And so I'm fully aware today that as I talk to you about a change, it's risky. It's risky. Let me show you what I mean. Look in your teaching notes. What's our vision, church? One more time. Write it in. Reach, teach, and release. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but you'll see it parenthetically in your teaching notes there. Reach is all about upward. Reach is all about us being a church that welcomes anyone and everyone who wants to come into the doors of our church. Amen? There's only one stipulation. No perfect people allowed. So as strangers come in here, strangers to God, they get introduced to the gospel, music moves in children's ministry or student ministry or adults. The word of God is preached. People accept Christ. Hands shoot up. Salvation. It's not really, it's not really horizontal per se. It's vertical. Teach is downward. Teach is driving into spiritual depth. Teach is forming roots that go deep into your soul, into the soil, if you will, of God's field where God can grow you. It's teach. Release, maybe you've never thought about this, it's really in all directions. It's 
Write in the word outward. It's outward. Reaches upward, teaches downward, and release is outward. Now here's the reality. If you grow a church that's really strong in reach, but weak in teach and weak in release, you grow a church that's a mile wide, but only an inch deep. If you grow a church that is strong in teach, but weak in reach and release, and some of you might've come from those churches. They're, they're, they're churches where everybody carries their Bible. And I'm all about carrying your Bible to church. You should bring your Bible to church. And I like old school, call me old school, but I like old school pages and everything. But if you've been to a church that's really strong in teach, everybody's got their leather bound Bible. And everybody has it embossed with their name right there. You've been to this church? And the preacher gets up, and he's usually in a stole and a clerical collar or something. And he stands up in a big wood pulpit. Have you ever noticed, you ever noticed the holy chairs up front? The preacher chairs? And they normally sit in these big chairs. And like when we first started this church, they said, Pastor, do you want a big chair to sit on on stage when the worship was going on? And I'm like, no! But you've seen that. But he gets up, and he walks up those steps, and he or she gets up there, and they open up your Bible. And you hear a mass vacuum in the house of God. Everybody goes, and everybody's head goes, and he starts teaching, and they take out their pens, and it's ooh, and ah, and it's deep. <laughs> the problem is, in those churches, you've got a bunch of people, they're usually all the same, quite often the same skin color, quite often the same socioeconomic level, and while they're ooing and on, and their head is getting bigger and bigger and bigger with more information, they aren't doing anything with it, and so they're basically saying to the world, you can die and go to hell while we grow our minds. Now, I don't know why that one resonated so much with you. Don't worry, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I'm gonna offend you somewhere. <laughs> but that's what you get if you're strong in teaching, you're weak in reach and release. If you're strong in release, this is our language. I know every church doesn't use this kind of language. But if you're strong in release, release or outreach you hear a lot today and you're weak in reach and teach what you will end up with is a church that is very social gospel oriented they're always out in the community and they're doing a lot of social justice initiatives the problem is Jesus is nowhere to be found because they're doing all of this good for people but it's not connected to the gospel and I don't care how many physical needs we meet, which I believe firmly in doing, if we don't meet spiritual needs and introduce people to Jesus, they're still gonna die and face a Christless eternity. Now, the beauty of our vision is the totality of it. You might not have ever thought about this, but the beauty of reach, teach, and release is that it encompasses, from a biblical perspective, the entire Christian experience. It's in there somewhere. But here's what I came to share with you today. And this is a different vision kind of message. 
This is different. For 17 years now, I've sat up here and I've casted big vision for the next big hill we were going to take. And let's go do it. And we're going to do this. And here are the numbers. And here are the goals. And wrong. we all left. <laughs> and if it's okay with you, I'm going to deliver a different kind of vision day message today. Because the only thing I can ever do and the only thing I promise you that I will always do is share with you what I believe God has placed on my heart for the church. And here's, here's the reality. I believe as a church, we've done a really, really, really good job at reach. Lots of salvations, thousands and thousands and thousands. But we haven't done as good a job at teach and we haven't done as good a job at release. Come on now. Come on. How many parents we got in the house? Parents, 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 parents? Okay. How many parents have raised 17-year-olds? If you haven't raised, <laughs> Lord, <laughs> you are so right. You people who couldn't raise your hand right there, but you have kids, you've never raised a 17-year-old, God bless you. Now, it's awesome, don't get me wrong, but if, if you have, you know this, and if you're a smart parent of young children, you know this is coming. When they're young, it's one thing. When they get into the toddler stage, it's another thing. When they get into the preteen stage, oh, God, help us. Then there's adolescence and their teenagers. But when they get to about 17 years old, and I've always likened our church to the birth of a person. 2001, Amy Lynn and I conceived this dream. It was only a dream. 2002, we gave birth to it. We went through the infant stage to the toddler stage to the preteen stage, adolescence, teenage stage, all that kind of stuff. But we're 17 years old. Come on now. You keep saying, come on, sister, and I'll keep coming on. <laughs> and I don't know what you did when your kids were 17, if you've been there, but here's what I've done. And my boy Caleb, he's sitting right up in here. He turns 15 in a few weeks, so he's going to know what's coming. At about age 16, 17, and 18, my job shifts. And I've got three of them I've already done this with. So stinking proud of them. But when they get to about 16 or mainly 17, I know I've got a year or two left with them at most. And here's where my shift goes. It's time to grow up. It's time to put childish ways behind you. And my job as a parent then is I start to shift and raise godly young adults. And I tell them, you better toughen up because the reality of this world is about to smack you in the face. And I start to try to pour into them in different ways. My discipleship shifts a little bit. And I'm trying to get them ready to go out of the house and be godly people in this world. I'm basically trying to say to them, you better grow up or this world will eat your lunch every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And what I believe is true, again, here in my heart, I hope I can deliver a different kind of message to you this vision day. As your pastor, I believe it's time that we put greater emphasis on growing up. I believe it's time 
And this is why this is a risk. If I'm not careful, some of you will hear, oh, well, reach is not that important anymore. Lost people don't matter that much anymore. We're, we're moving away from reaching people. No, 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 no. What did I just say? No. But it is time that we shift at 17 years old and we take seriously what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, church, there's a big difference between being a fan and a follower. A fan and a what? Follower. There is a really big difference in what that means. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Open up your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. I might read the entire passage later, but if I don't read it later, read all of 1 Corinthians 3. But here's what Paul says to the young church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still what? Still what? Worldly. Mere infants in Christ. Why don't we read the next part together? Go. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still... For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? And Paul is saying to the church, and I'm saying to us today, that as a 17-year-old church, that God has been so very good to us. And by the way, I'm not saying any of this in a preachy kind of way or a condemning kind of way or a patronizing kind of way. Like I'm right here in the midst of it with you. But as a church who has experienced unmerited grace and favor and kindness from Almighty God, and we've seen all kinds of salvations and reach, what would it look like for us as a church to get really, really focused on not being, by the way, this is, this is where fans hang out right here. Fans. Not being content with being a fan of God. You can accept Christ and come to church and you're really just nothing more than a fan. You know, you, you like it, you know, you're kind of in awe of things and, you know, it's cool, it's fun, makes you feel better, get you a little Sunday fix. That's a fan. But followers, followers hang out over here. And what would it look like? What would it be like for us in our 17th year, like you're about to send a, a child out into the world? What would it look like for us as a church to start to really focus in and, and, and zoom in on what does it mean to truly be not a fan, but a follower of Jesus Christ? Just like there are three pastors, three kinds of pastors, there are actually three kinds of churches. Three kinds of churches. There's traditional churches. You've been there. I described it earlier with the big holy chairs up front. There's traditional churches. There's transitional churches. And there are transformational churches. Transformational churches. And if you add all that up, if you will, if you just stick with me here for a moment, I want to just say three very, very important things that you'll see on your screen. This is key. We are called by God, New Hope to be responsible risk takers, to reach, 
teach and release a transformational church in the Carolinas and beyond. If you get fired up about it, let me hear an amen. amen. Transformational churches. In other words, a church that is being transformed by the gospel. But a church that is not only being transformed, but listen, a church that then becomes transformational in the community that we live in. But here's the problem. Here's some of that unsettledness that I've been dealing with lately. I think we have grown large in our crowds for Christ, but not so much in our commitment to Christ. Oh, did you just hear that? I think we have grown large in our crowds for Christ, but not so much in our commitment to Christ. If you can't say amen, I know, I know, just say ouch. You see, a church that is going to be truly transformational has to consist of transformational people. A church is simply a collection of those that are gathered inside, right? So the question we have to start asking ourselves is this. Here's the third thing, very, very important. Am I actively being transformed into the image of Christ? And am I therefore transforming others in the process? Like seriously, it's a sincere question. It's not a, it's not a preachy question. It's a question, by the way, I ask myself often. Are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? Or a month ago? Are you so in pursuit of God's word? Are you so dialed into a relationship with God that you're prayerful, that you're connecting with God on a regular basis, and you're connecting with others on a regular basis, and by the power of the transforming Holy Spirit in your life, you're actually being changed into the image of Jesus Christ? Or are you just a fan? An attender. Fans are users. Fans are consumers. Followers are givers. Followers are contributors. Follow, followers go all in with their lives. Let me walk you through maybe the difference between a fan and a follower as you just keep tracking with me. A fan... A fan is impressed. A fan is what? Impressed. A follower, on the other hand, is devoted. See the difference? You can be a fan and show up here and be impressed with this church. I mean, it's impressive. This is an impressive church. And I don't say that in a boastful way. By the way, I, I don't have a lot to do with most of it anymore. This staff around this place, I mean, just on, it's an impressive church, right? But... We're not into just impressing you. We're not into just being impressed ourselves. We want to be devoted. A fan applauds, applauds. A follower surrenders. A fan approves. A fan approves. A follower obeys. Fans... 
have public convictions, yeah, they, they put the mask on. Some fans have private convictions. Followers have core convictions. Followers are true blue, deep down to the core. I'm going to follow Jesus regardless, even if it goes against everything inside of me, I'm gonna submit to the word and I'm going to obey. Speaking of the Super Bowl, it's in Atlanta next week. Do you know that? It's in Atlanta. It's at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And the chief anchor, if you will, for this brand new stadium, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, is Chick-fil-A, glory to God. (laughs) And Chick-fil-A has been getting a lot of pressure in the last few weeks to sell Christian chicken on Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) Did you hear about this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've been getting a lot of pressure. And Truett Cathy decided a long time ago, listen, we'll make less money if we need to. That's really turned out bad for them. <laughs> but we're not going to work on Sunday. Now, don't draw the, I'm not against restaurants open on Sunday. In fact, I like a restaurant on Sunday, glory to God. So I'm not saying that. But my point is, they pressured Chick-fil-A this week. And Chick-fil-A took a stand, just came out a few days ago, and they said, hey, we appreciate your effort, but we will not be open on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, what was going on there? A core conviction. It was a core conviction. Now, I'm, I'm glad. I'm like you. I clap. But have you ever been like this? I do this all the time. I'll pull up in a Chick-fil-A on Sunday, and I'm like, no. Oh, man. And I'm either thinking one of two things are happening. Either the rapture has come and I'm the only one left. <laughs> or darn it, it's Sunday. But that's a core conviction. Fans have public convictions. Followers have core convictions. Let me give you a biblical word for a follower. A biblical word for a follower, jot this down, is disciple. Disciple. Do you know what a disciple is? A disciple, just you can always remember this because the word discipline, disciple, they go together. A disciple is a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. It's a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. The word disciple, a little nugget for you to jot down in the margin of your Bible, your teaching notes. The word disciple is found in the New Testament 269 times. 269 times. How many times do you think the word Christian is found in the New Testament? Two. What I'm talking about, church, is making sure we're winning at the right thing. I'll never forget this story when I was up in Asbury um, working on my doctorate, getting ready to come down and start this church. God has already planted the vision in our hearts. So Amy Lynn and I took our three kids at that time. We headed up to Kentucky. I was in the program there at Asbury Theological Seminary. And one of the guys told me this story. He said, I was in a class and the professor gave us this big exam, big, big take-home project exam, if you will. I worked on it for weeks. He said, I put everything into it and I turned it in and I was so proud of it. And about a week later, the, the report came back to me, the project, and the, the, the professor's notes were on, on the report down at the bottom in red. And the professor said, great research, exclamation point, 
great content, exclamation point. Great bibliography, exclamation point. Grade F. And then he wrote in parentheses, <laughs> wrong assignment. <laughs> Guys, I chuckled over that for a few weeks and I've never forgotten it. And God reminded me of it this week. Could it be, come on, just think about it with me for a moment. Could, could, it, could it possibly be? God, never let it be. That when it's all said and done, God might look at some churches, come on, come on, and say, great facilities. Ooh, you really impressed me with your light show. Oh, wow, the haze machines were awesome. Great children's ministry. Great student ministry. Oh, wonderful. Grade F, wrong assignment. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. The Great Commission, Jesus' last words, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go ye into the world and make fans, make crowds, make members. Go into the world and make disciples, disciplined followers of Jesus. And so I come to tell you today, I know it's a different kind of vision day message. And from your response, and from the response this morning, and from the response I'm hearing from the campuses, you're kind of picking up what I'm laying down. You're kind of at that place, are you not? Where Christianity just kind of becomes not so much. It's like, I don't know, man. How many, how many great light shows can I see? How many, how, many, how many great cups of coffee can I get from the cafe? And if you're feeling that, here's, here's where you are. Trust me. You're kind of camping out at being a fan of Jesus. And what God might be stirring inside of you is this calling that Christianity is not a fan club. Christianity is about men and women, children and students, casting aside everything, putting Jesus Christ front and center, submitting to the word of God and following him every single day of your life, 24-7, 365. It's not a game. And maybe you're just like, I don't know, and churches just stop doing it for you. Here's what you need. You need to go deeper. You need to get into this thing. You need to move from being a fan to a follower. You need to go outward. For some of you, the best thing you could ever do is go on a missions trip. You need to start doing some men. This is really, really important for us. Also important for women. But men just like to do stuff, man. Men, men want to get their hands dirty. Maybe, 
You need to stop experiencing it and doing something with it. Let me wrap up with just a few points of application that I think is going to fire you up. Reach, since we're talking about our vision today. It'd be remiss of me and irresponsible for me if I didn't at least throw, you, throw this back up. Just to remind you, we shall keep presenting the gospel to people who are far from God. We will not stop doing any of that. We will do anything with the exception of sin to reach people for Jesus. Amen? That's who we are. So we do that by investing and inviting. Investing in our friends, inviting them to a campus. Investing in our friends and inviting them to receive Christ. Or if you don't, can't do that, you bring them to church, I'll offer them Christ. That's that. Teach. We're making a fundamental shift in, in the trajectory of this church in the days ahead. On February 17th, that's just a few weeks away, we're starting a series called Wrecked and Redeemed. Wrecked and Redeemed. As you know, I just wrote a book called Wrecked and Redeemed. It just got printed. The publishers just let me know. Uh, it won't be hitting the stores quite yet, but we're going to get on ahead of it. And we're going to do a series called Wrecked and Redeemed. We're going to go into the Gospel of John, and we're going to study the Gospel of John. Don't miss a single Sunday. It's like a 10-week series. But it's not enough to just come to church on Sunday. That's why some of you feel like, oh, man, there's just something missing. I want to challenge you, and this you got your Connect card still in your hand. Mark it if you want. I want to challenge you to get into a life group during Wrecked and Redeemed. Get into a life group. It's our number one desire for you. But here's what I know. Some of you are a bit like, I don't know, man. Going over somebody's house, I don't know those people. They might be a little cray-cray. I don't know, man. We're going to start offering more and more mid-sized groups at our church. We're going to start opening up our church more during the week and offering discipleship opportunities. So during Wrecked and Redeemed, that's the people who are clapping. They're like, I ain't going to anybody's house. <laughs> in this day and age? No, it's all right. You, you, biblical life groups. We want to get in people's homes. <laughs> but we're going to offer mid-sized groups at the church during Wrecked and Redeemed. One night a week, you come, you meet with... I don't know, 50, 100, 200 people. I don't know, we got plenty of room at any of our campuses. And we're gonna study together. Remember I talked about raising kids earlier? You do know, don't you, there is a time to take the bib off of the kid and get them out of the high chair and let them start feeding themselves. And the problem with too many Christians today is they look at pastors like me and they're like, feed me, feed me, feed me. I will feed you, I promise you. Every single Sunday, I'm gonna do my best to whip up the best sermon I can whip up and deliver it to you. But let me tell you, dear sir, it is time that you take the bib off, many of you, and start to feed yourself. I can only do so much. And if you only eat once a week, like even if I preach an hour-long message, if that's the only time during the week you crack open the Word of God, that's the only time during the week you pray, your Christian experience is going to be dismal. And you'll be, you'll be uncontent. You'll, 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 you'll think about, I don't know about Christianity. It's not that Christianity is failing. It's that our effort and the way in which we're training in discipleship is failing miserably. 
So mid-sized groups for wrecked and redeemed, they're coming. You'll hear more about it. Listen closely. This is big news, trajectory-shaping news. In the fall, we're starting a brand new discipleship curriculum content at this church. I've been researching it for three years. We're starting a thing called Rooted. Everybody say Rooted. Everybody say it like you mean it. Rooted. 2019, all of our life groups are going to move to this. The staff, we've already gone ahead of you. We've been doing this for a couple of months now. We meet every Monday morning at 845. This is what your staff does. We get into the Word together, and we're going through the rooted content. It's unbelievable. It's out of Mariner's Church. It's some of the best stuff on the planet. Let me kind of show you what these 10 weeks will look like. Everybody will go through this at New Hope Membership Discipleship, this is the starting point. But we got to start to have a, a plumb line, if you will, where we're all discipled and we all start at the same place. I realize some of that's hard for you to read, but let me just go through it real quickly. Week one, you talk about what is rooted. These are in life groups, in homes, and mid-sized groups at the church. Week two, who is God? Very theological. We have to get our theology straight. Who is God? Week three, how does God speak to us? Very important. If I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to move from being a fan to a follower, guess what? i got to learn to hear his voice. Week four, where is God in the midst of suffering? We've all asked that from time to time. Week five, there is an enemy. Six, how can I make the most of my life? Part one, the very next week, how can I make the most of my life? Part two, how does God view money? Week nine, how and why and how should I tell others? Week 10, why is church important? And week 11 is a final celebration. That's beginning in the fall. We're gonna go at discipleship like never before in this church. No longer shall we be content with a large crowd. It's time that we get committed to Christ. It's time that we go all in. It's time that we stop playing games. Ain't nobody got time for religious games. Next Sunday, I'm meeting with a group of people. I'm more fired up about this than anything I've been fired up about in a long time. But we're going to be launching at this church a dynamic and large men's and women's ministry. We're going to get men together so men can talk about manly kind of stuff. <laughs> we're going to get together because our culture is confused. You know, our culture is very confused about what does it mean to be a man. Men are confused about what it means to be a man. So we're going to have a men's ministry. I'm so personally, personally, I'm deeply desiring this. Women, a group of women, they're doing the same thing. And I have no idea what they're talking about because they're women. And they're, we're meeting together next week and the women are going to plan and the men are going to plan. But we are launching in the very near future. A large, dynamic men's and women's ministry. We're going to continue to pour resources into great children's ministry and student ministries and young adult ministries and all these kinds of things. And we're going to press into God's word and start taking discipleship more and more serious. I'm sick and tired of looking at Christians, sometimes even folks who work in the church, and we're acting like a bunch of immature babies and it's time to grow up. Release, and I'm done. My wife spearheads missions around here, so 
This is her initiative. I'm very excited about it. We're gonna do something that's called the Second Saturday Serve. Say it with me, Second Saturday Serve. In 2019, we're hoping to see New Hope engage their local communities like never before. We're going to be starting Second Saturday Serve on February 9th. That's right around the corner. And we want to see New Hopers serving the community the second Saturday of every single month. So at all of our campuses, here's what we do. We meet up, we pray up, and we head out. What do we do, church? We meet up, we pray up, and we head out. You guys are amazing. And we're going to get into our communities. And we're just going to serve in the name of Jesus. We're going to actually be released. We're going to get off camping out here all the time. And we're going to start to camp out here and here and start to embody the totality of this vision to reach, teach, and release. We're going to continue to challenge you to engage the faith, to serve on a Sunday, to be a world changer. We've no longer called the Sunday volunteers volunteers anymore. They're world changers. If God's really changing this world through the church, that's what our volunteers are. Can I get an amen? And can we just honor our volunteers and celebrate them? But what about you? Maybe you want to get involved. We don't want you to serve every Sunday. That'll burn you out. But you can at least serve twice a month so that your life starts to have purpose and meaning. And you start to understand the greatest thrill of life is not lived for self. The greatest thrill of life is actually living for others and serving people. Last thing, we're going to start hiring more and more called and competent staff from within the movement. And if you're thinking what I think you're thinking, you're exactly right. Oh, I could get a job at New Hope Church. You, you might. You know what we've discovered? The best hires at this church are folks who are hired from within. Instead of flying somebody, instead of flying somebody across the country who's in it just as a career instead of a calling, and instead of getting somebody who might not fully understand new hope and the heartbeat of this church, we're gonna start to find folks who are already in the church and they love this church. Check this out. And they have a heart for this house and they have a heart for this vision and they wanna make a difference and they're doing an outstanding job as a volunteer, i.e. world changer. That's who we wanna hire. And so you're gonna see on the website very soon different jobs that we're looking for. You just check in there regularly. If you wanna throw your name in the hat, go for it. Let me end with a question and a story, and I'm done. Here's the question that I'm wrestling with these days. And it's actually the question that I started asking 17 years ago when I started the church. And I've never been able to shake it. I just can't shake this question. And here it is. If New Hope Church ceased to exist... Would the communities around our campuses miss us? If tomorrow or next month or a year from now, there was no new hope, would our communities miss us? I think they would. Let me, be, let me, let me tell the truth and be positive. I think they would. I do. 
but I think we could get far more intentional to bless and serve and love those outside the walls of our church where we actually follow Jesus from the seats to the streets. And church is more than just coming on Sunday and being an audience. I hope you know you are not the audience. God is the audience. We worship before an audience of one. And we come on Sundays to worship him, but then we scatter so that our communities around all of our campuses could never even begin to imagine what it would look like for the people called New Hope to no longer exist. I'm talking about a community where you are needed and known. I'm talking about a church that lives out Acts chapter 2 where everybody is needed and known. They're what church? Needed and known. Say it again. Needed and known. A story and I'm done. About three weeks ago, I was up here and I didn't plan it. Just in the midst of the moment, the Holy Spirit led me to share with you about a one such Karen and Gordon at the Sanford campus. Do you remember this? And I shared with you how that very afternoon, Amy Lynn and I were getting in the car and we were riding down towards Pinehurst and we were visiting Gordon and Karen in the hospital. And uh, let, me, let me show you this beautiful couple. They are amazing leaders they met a few years ago, check this out, in a life group. That's them right there in the middle. They met in a life group, and uh, they got married, glory to God. So, hey, if you're single and you're looking to get married, <laughs> a good place to look is a life group. There they are. Well, Gordon had a stroke recently. He was on some blood pressure medicine, had a stroke, ended up in a medically induced coma with emergency brain surgery. His brain was swelling so bad that they cut a piece of his skull, not just relieved it so the brain could swell, but they actually cut a piece of the skull off and set it aside. When we went to visit him that Sunday that I told you we were going, I asked all of you to pray. And I walked into the room and we met with Karen and we started praying. And here's, here's all the notes from their life groups. Isn't that great? Their life group members. You're, they'll show him in a moment. I think he's in the bed, and this is this is what he, this is the, the condition that he was in. It was not good, and he was laying down, and we prayed over him. And I took my hand and I placed it right where that skull had been removed, and I prayed over Gordon. And I reminded Karen and everybody in the room. I said, "Guys, I really believe in the spiritual realm." Don't ever believe just for a moment that they're not listening to us. Maybe they can hear us. And so I started praying. And we laid hands on him. And again, my hand was right on his head. And I watched as I was praying, I watched his blood pressure on the monitor go from 180 to 120 as I was praying. We got finished praying. Even though that's good news, I know. We got finished praying, and we'd been there about an hour or so. But Amy Lynn and I walked to the car, and we were kind of quiet. We got in the car, and we started driving home. We were still quiet. And I said, because the doctors had already told Karen, you need to get ready. It's not looking good. They, were, they wanted to take him off of the machine. I mean, it was bad. And I said to Amy Lynn, I said, man, I got faith, but I just don't know. And she totally agreed. But let me tell you something. Within a matter of weeks, I come by today to let you know that Gordon is now eating food, laughing, got the hiccups. Look at him. 
celebrating. Now I tell you that, I tell you that for two reasons. One, we serve a God who still moves stones. We serve a God who still works miracles. He is able with all things. God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Secondly, though, I share that story with you so that you can get a picture in your mind. Here's what it looks like to be in a faithful church. It's not just Sunday morning, fan club stuff, clapping stuff, just worshiping stuff, and then I go home and I sit God on a shelf for the other six days of the week. No, no, no. What it means to be a part of New Hope Church is I am going to put Jesus Christ in the crosshairs of my life. I'm going to follow his word. I'm going to pray and I'm going to do life with other people where I'm needed and I'm known. And through God's power, we're going to change the very world. And it's so much more than just reach. So I'm inviting you on a very different kind of vision day. I'm inviting you to say, you know what? I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of sitting in the grandstands. And I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna actually get out of the grandstands and I'm gonna get on the playing field and I'm gonna follow Jesus Christ with everything that I have and I'm gonna beg God to change the world through this movement called New Hope Church. That's what I'm inviting you to. That's what I'm calling you to. Father, we love you today. God, may it be so. God, thank you for shaking us from the inside out and calling us to so much more. And God, in the days and the weeks and the months and even the years ahead, as we never, never stop reaching people for Jesus, Lord, I pray that the shift would become more, more faithful in its scale, more, more full in its scope, Father God, that this church would yes be about populating heaven more and more and more. But oh God, that together as born again saved believers in your son Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit would come in and transform us, God, that we would put you first. That we would not just be fans, but we would be faithful followers, disciples, living life with you, Lord God, and with one another to the glory and the honor and the fame of the beautiful name of Jesus. May it be so, oh God. May it start today. And may we never know, never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen, and amen, church.